Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Greetings and welcome to Paradise Island. This is Under Consultation, a huge episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and like Dominic Diamond says in this episode, I'm really going to miss this show. And exasperating the class divide, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 27th of February 1998, and you'll never believe it, but FIFA 98 holds on to its position at the top of the video game charts. Again, while Oasis topped the pops with all around the world, and we have our last movie to reach the top of the UK box office, Titanic. Seeing you coming out of the darkness like a ghost ship still gets me every time. This drawing that we found just today. A piece of paper that's been underwater for 85 years. I'll be damned. All right, you have my attention. Can you tell us who the woman in the picture is? Oh, yes. The woman in the picture is me. Louis XVI wore a stone called the Blue Diamond of the Crown. And today it would be worth more than the Hope Diamond. If your grandmother's who she says she is, she was wearing the diamond the night the ship sank. You really think she was there? I'm a believer. Are you ready to go back to Titanic? It's so weird because, like, Titanic is this huge movie. It's this touchstone cultural icon. We mentioned how many times it gets re-released and re-released and re-released. And I'm sure five years from now, it will be re-released again. I feel next to no desire to talk about it because everyone else has talked about it. If we were talking about Titanic 2 the direct-to-video TV sequel, I'd be all over that like flies on cow dung. I would be happy to talk with you about that for longer than would ever make it into the edit. 
But it's like, it's Titanic. It won a bunch of awards. It won a hell of a lot of awards. It had a very big song. Like, it's, it was everywhere. It was, a, it was a huge movie. It's one of those films that you see it's in the, you know, number one of the box office. So you head to the Wikipedia page to read up on it. And you're like, oh, this is going to be a really chunky Wikipedia page. And sure enough, it's a chunky old Wikipedia page. And I found myself just glazing over as I was reading bits and bobs. Uh, the kind of in a similar boat as you, I was like, yeah, I kind of said everything I wanted to say about the movie in last week's episode when it was in the news feature. I, I suppose the only thing to touch on that we didn't touch upon is it was the first film to reach the billion dollar box office mark. In fact, it didn't just reach a billion dollars in its initial release. It grossed one point eight four billion dollars, so almost just broke through the two billion dollar mark. But it has done that thanks to the cinematic re-releases and currently stands at 2.254 billion, which makes it the second film to gross more than 2 billion. And Luke, what is the other film to gross more than 2 billion? That would be James Cameron's Avatar. Oh, that Cameron, he does know how to do a box office. I actually don't know. How well did the second Avatar movie do? I'd imagine not as well. I am actually I was surprised at how well Avatar 2 did because like it's being released like so many years later i was thinking like there's absolutely no way anyone is going to care about a sequel to avatar this late but do you know what it did great i've just had a quick double check 2.3 billion worldwide so technically avatar 2 has taken more worldwide than titanic has after 25 years yeah but as a lot of like avatars you know it adjusted for inflation i would imagine that avatar one made more but that you know i i think adjusting for inflation is is only you can only go so far with that what i am much more excited to talk about rather than titanic is oasis having a number one and it is i would wager like if you look at november rain as probably being the most gratuitous guns and roses song if you look at i would do anything love being the most gratuitous meatloaf song that's where all around the world sits for oasis and much like november rain it's a song that had been around since oasis began and it just it was they weren't at a point where they felt they could do it justice or certainly where noel felt he could do it justice this was going to be his big epic orchestral production song and boy howdy they got all of those things when it eventually came about it's funny though, isn't it, that it's not the one that's remembered. Like, it, people do remember this song, but it is not the remembered song from Oasis in the 90s. That is the much simpler, much more pared back Wonderwall. I, I would say there's a lot more songs that are remembered before this one. I mean, this one, whatever. Um, I mean, Half a World Away, because of the royal family, I would say gets probably more memories and more airplay. Also, all around the world is not radio friendly. It's not even Oasis friendly. I remember when they did the um, the collection and they put the DVD in with the CD that had the music videos on it. Noel came in and did commentary tracks on a bunch of the videos, which was mainly him going, oh, we look like a right bunch of twats. And in fairness, in some of them, they did. And it got to all around the world. And the commentary for that is eight minutes of Noel going, what the fuck was I thinking? What was I doing? Look at me. I look like such a twat. Why did I think this was a good idea? I love this song. 
Mm. It is actually one of my favourite Oasis songs because as much as the whole Oasis Beatles thing is often brought up, including by them at times, this is the most Beatles song they did. This is full I am the walrus, strawberry fields, a day in the life, all you need is love, hey Jude, all that. This is the big sing song, na 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 orchestra, yellow submarine visuals in the music video, which is an insanely expensive and complicated music video to make. And I think I'm mostly just happy that we got a big Oasis number one before the end of our time on Games Master, because most of their success fell when we were off season. Yeah, for me with Oasis, this is, I, I was hugely into What's the Story, uh, and I still I still am hugely into What's the Story, but this is, I, I feel my interest in oasis peaks there and just starts to take a bit of a dip down following that like I've, I've got a lot of love and appreciation for the song and everything they've done since but i've not bought albums or i've not listened to albums i've just heard songs that they've done on the radio or just seen their live performances and stuff so i think there's it sounds to reason as to why i think wonderwall or you know the tracks that you mentioned there are probably more oft remembered than all around the world but there it's a it's a great song it's no denying that it's a great song and Noel like, has been quoted various times of just going, yeah, this is how much of a blatant Beatles thing it is. He's like, yeah, the lyrics are kind of shit. But there are three key changes towards the end. Imagine how much better Hey Jude would have been with three key changes towards <laughs> the end. <laughs> Clearly, despite the existing Oasis audience, it also did catch a lot of casuals because it was very, like, ear-friendly. Even if it wasn't radio-friendly, it was very ear-friendly and would have got some people that went, oh, it is like the Beatles, yeah, and ignored the kind of the laddish nature of Oasis and of Noel and Liam fighting and whatnot. It became number one, but also still holds the record of being the longest song ever to reach number one and go gold in the UK. It's nearly 10 minutes long. That's a bit of fun as well because, you know, we'll maybe touch upon this a bit more next week, but the number one song when we started in this podcast was Bohemian Rhapsody, a song that was considered not radio-friendly because it was too long and too orchestral in this, that and the other. And we're more or less finishing with a song that was given similar thoughts. That's kind of fun, really. Nice little bookend. Maybe we'll just pretend that this is the last number one because next week is Usher. And I I think we'll just pretend it's Oasis instead. We did it with First Contact. We can do it with Oasis. We don't want to talk about 101 Dalmatians or whatever that shite was. Was it 101 or 102? It was 101. I, I would recommend if you don't know this song, do check it out. Go and find it on YouTube. Find it with the video because it's weird and excessive. It is like as excessive as any music video was at that point. And if you can find, if someone's ripped and uploaded the version there with Noel Gallagher's commentary, also watch that to watch a man just realising what a tit he was. And arguably, still is. Sadly, there's no real big TV or movie news to go into. However, I did want to read this little note that I saw uh, in a possible timeline that I did see in our timeline, which is on January 28th, so the day after this episode aired, over in America... Interscope Records pays a radio station in Portland, Oregon, $5,000 to play Limp Bizkit's single Counterfeit 50 times. I mean, that's a, that's a chunk of change. I'd be interesting to know what it did for their um, for their ratings. Well, also did is because it drew a bit of controversy about it, it just raised the stock of the band, which I'd imagine was the point of the exercise in the first place. 
Ash, before we get into the show itself, what's going on in the magazine? Well, I do have a feature here in the magazine that I want to touch on. However, because of its content, I think we should leave it until after the episode. Hello and welcome to Games Master, where we're sometimes asked, instead of all that modern video game computer work of Satan claptrap nonsense, why don't you feature traditional family board games instead? Well, we don't because they're cack. Cluedo is a game set in the Tudor Mansion, which only serves to exaggerate the class divide already in existence in this country. Scrabble, a farcical affair where the word pants only gets you a low score. And worst of all, Twister, an infantile thing where the people that you're playing with often end up falling on top of you. Now, where's the fun in that, I ask you? Now, look, I work for a company that runs a board game YouTube channel. So I've got a bit of skin in the game when it comes to this idea of board games are a bit cack. Having said that, I have done videos on both Cluedo and Scrabble, uh, and I do think that Cluedo is a bit cack. I'm not the biggest fan of Scrabble either, uh, for reasons I went into in a 25-minute video. And Twister is a fun party game uh, that gets old pretty quickly. But Cluedo is legit cack. I'm not a huge fan of Cluedo. I'm a fan of the gimmick Cluedos, like Simpsons Cluedo and stuff where it's a bit of a giggle because it's branded. That, that I'm actually fine with. I fucking love Scrabble. I took serious offence at Dominic here because if you're angry at how many points Pant gets, maybe you should expand your vocabulary because you know what gets a lot more points than Pant? Pantaloon. My thing I had with Scrabble, uh, as I went into my uh, video I did about it during the pandemic, no less, was that it's less a game of skill. I, I, certainly at a highly competitive level, it is not a game of skill, it's a game of memory. And like I interviewed pro Scrabble players, and that is essentially what they said. It was just like, yeah, it's not really knowing good words, it's just remembering words and reading through the, scra- the, the approved Scrabble dictionaries and just re- revising those so that you can then remember them when you need them. I, that's interesting. I guess the way I see it is being able to see the patterns in the letters. It's the same as when I like watch a countdown or Cats does countdown more accurately. It's like when the letters come up and it's just trying to form the shapes of the words and go, ah, well, there's an I-O-N. So if I take I-O-N and I put I-O-N there, what does that leave with me? You know, can I make question? Can I make junction? Can I make eruption? Diamondism. Mm. You know, can I, I form that together? But I guess that's because I'm not at a pro level. Yeah, at a high level, it really is just a memory game. I mean, I think I'll happily continue to enjoy Scrabble at the level of a rank amateur. I'm, I mean, I'm also shit at Scrabble as well. So it's, whenever that gets brought out, if, you know, going around to my in-laws' house, uh, they don't play proper board games. They play <laughs> like Scrabble. So if that comes out, I am of a, oh man, it just, it just exposes me for being a fucking idiot. But Dominic brings up Twister and he's just like dissing on it. And at that point, the Girl Fridays, tackle him to the ground and they seem to be finding this very funny like genuinely very funny slightly funnier than dom's finding it possibly because i believe they just elbowed him in the taint <laughs> and he's losing it where's the fun in that i depends how you feel about being elbowed in the perineum anyway other than possibly winding dom what else is on today's show nice ladies emma noble and debbie flett whip themselves into a frenzy in final furlong but we begin with an event we call Oi Bloke from Another Country. Are you starting? It is that challenge, everyone. That is coming up later on. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to it, I guess. But Oi Bloke from Another Country, Are You Starting? is so 
British, and so British in the late 90s. It is It is a loaded headline. Not an FHM headline. FHM would have been a bit classier, but this is a loaded, like kind of like buzzword, lads, 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 blokey, bloke, bloke headline. And I'm, I'm fine with it. It's fun. I, I remember at school, what you always heard around the schoolyard and, and the playground and stuff, are you starting? Are you starting? So it was a nice little nostalgic throwback for me. To, to hear are you starting being used as part of a games master challenge to find out a little bit more about this tournament and this epic final challenge let's head on over to dominic diamond for a bit of information for the hardcore arcade gamer tekken 3 is the king of beat-em-ups boasting a depth of gameplay that's made it a hit not just here but in arcades all over the planet for today's challenge we've assembled the greatest tekken 3 players in the world to decide once and for all who is king tekken i mean what a set of challenges what a game what an absolute game and to have it here in its arcade form even though it does arrive on the playstation very very quickly was even included on the recent PlayStation Classic. As much of a misstep as that mini console was, they did get some things right, and including Tekken 3 was definitely one of them. Also, uh, one of the first Japanese import games I owned, because Japanese import does not affect your ability to mash buttons in Tekken. I've talked about this extensively on the podcast, and actually when Tekken 3 was was previously on our timeline, when it was in the the news, I'm not a Tekken player. Uh, I... I understand that there is a huge amount of skill to Tekken. Uh, I appreciate that there is an incredible uh, amount of talent that goes into being exceptional at this game. But I think my issue I always had with Tekken, and it's what I had with with Tekken 2 in particular, is, uh, and I got this on, on Tekken 3 as well, it's button mashing. You can't get anywhere button mashing on Street Fighter. You can get somewhere button mashing on Tekken. If you're going up against someone who is who is pro player, they, they will obviously school you at it. But I feel like you can get far enough by just button mashing, which I don't think you can get that far in on, on Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat or something along those lines. Mostly because they're so static as games, you'll just end up being in position. Like if you mash A on Mortal Kombat, you will just stand in position throwing punches um, and go into that punch animation. So that's always been my, that's the thing that's kept me at arm's length from Tekken. It's the same with, with Killer Instinct. Like, uh, but Killer Instinct is very much you can't button mash your way through. You do need to be able to be able to do the things to, to do it. So yeah, that's always what's kept me at arm's length with Tekken. So I've, I, the only Tekken game I've ever really got to grips with or really played at any length was Tekken Tag. And I, so I've, I've never been a Tekken kid and certainly was not a Tekken 3 player. Having watched that, having said that, watching people play Tekken, who are very good at it, like these three lads are, or these these four lads are, is exceptional. I think Tekken 1, I was very button mashy. Tekken 2, I was very button mashy. Tekken 3 clicked with me. I think it's because also, because I had the Japanese import, I, I was, wasn't just reading the manual, I was getting the, the game fact and printing it out. And not only was it telling me the character's moves, but it was also going, and here are the combos. And we talked about memory earlier. I was memorizing, you know, square, square, triangle, X, forward, you know, and I was beginning to memorize some of those combos and some characters, including a couple of the characters we see here. I, at least mostly against the CPU on the PlayStation, became quite competent. I've never really had that connection with Tekken after that. I've played them and I'm looking forward to the next Tekken that's just around the corner. But Tekken 3 was the one that I sunk hours into and playing through the arcade mode with as many characters as possible and unlocking as many characters as possible, all the extras, and just going through that mode. It didn't hold the Soul Edge level, but it did It did hold me a bit more than the previous, all that the ones have since. These videos introducing the challenges, I love this. I also loved recognising 
uh, where a lot of this was. From Norway comes 24-year-old champion Oysten Andersen. Oysten runs an arcade in Oslo and actually owns a Tekken 3 arcade machine at home. For the last week, Oysten's been off for the practice for what will surely be the fight of his life. Because we see Oysten Andersen, who, you know, he's walking around Leadenhall Market by the looks of it. I, I walked past there only the other week and I'm like, I recognise that. It still looks like that. It's a listed building. He runs an arcade and owns a Tekken 3 machine at home. Bit of an unfair advantage. Not, not that it does him any favours in this tournament, though. Ah, we see that's not his fault. And he does give a actually slightly bullshit, but also very understandable reason why it doesn't do him any favours. The United States is represented by Jeff Shu, who spends five to ten hours a day playing Tekken 3. At a recent championship in Las Vegas, 20-year-old Jeff trounced the opposition. Will he do the same here? Jeff Shu is from the USA. He's seen walking around Piccadilly eating hot dogs. He recently won a championship in Vegas. Not that it does him any favours here. And then we've got Shohiraki from Japan, 23 years old. And despite being a casual, to use a modern parlance, he's become a legend in his hometown. Also appears to be in the Piccadilly Leicester Square area, but for a very specific reason. Fighting for the home country, 18-year-old Ryan Hart, an ice cream bar attended by day, by night, a regular winner of national tournaments. Known as the best Tekken 3 player in the country, he's earned himself the nickname of The Terminator. We do a lovely focus change, and there in the background is 18-year-old Ryan Hart, an ice cream bar attendant by day, but by night, a regular on the fighting tournament scene. And Ryan Hart, of all the people here, is the one that it's very, very easy to find out what he's up to now. Yeah, because if you Google like any of the other names, you don't really get a huge amount of information. However, you Google Ryan Hart and there is information about he has got a chunky old Wikipedia page because we've at this stage of his timeline, he's only 18. He is kind of brand new to the competition circuit, but not really. Like, you know, he is only 18 here, but he's also won tournaments. Like, he won Street Fighter 2 tournaments in 1994 at the Trocadero and then found huge success with Virtual Fighter 3 and won nine championships at Namco Wonder Park, which will explain why he's ended up on this show because he'd have been brought through by Derek. And the most interesting thing when reading through that is Shohiraki who is also on the show f from Japan, is living in the UK at this point because he trains with Ryan. And at the most recent Tekken tournament that Ryan won, he beat Shohiraki in the final. So it comes to this really, like, like it's spoilers for the end of the episode. It does come down to Ryan and Sho again. And they don't play up the fact that it's a rematch from the, the you know previous championship stuff, but it is. And also, and I would have thought that this was absolute bollocks, he is known as the Terminator. That is one of his many nicknames. It also includes Robotnik and the Prodigal Son. And Sujin. Yeah, he has got plenty of old nicknames. And like that, that is just the start, basically, of his Wikipedia page. And then after that, it's just, then he became the champion of this. Then he became champion of this. Then became champion of this. And he just tours the world, winning championships, is now a legend within the fighting circuit. An incredible career he's about to go on and have, and this is just the start of it. And, most importantly for me, his arcade career began when he moved to South London, and specifically, big up the Croydon Massive. One of the things that I found surprising about the, the, the Games Master Oral History is there's not a lot written about the challenges of Series 7. We've kind of touched them on a, a little bit. It's more just, it, it feels just like a, 
and here's why we did it. Here's what we wanted to accomplish from Series 7 in terms of hanging out with mates, bringing on birds that Dom fancies. But Dom does have a little bit of diatribe as he was very proud of the the Tomb Raider 2 challenge and the, the MK4 challenge. But the challenge he was most pleased with was this one, was this Tekken tournament. Uh, Johnny Finch here says, we had the budget to do it. I mean, they'd be coming over in economy and we plonked them in some roach-infested hotel while they were here, but we did fly them in from Japan and the United States. I'm sure they barely understood what was going on, finding themselves bussed onto a set, ordered about for a few hours, then sent flying back home. So like this, they were very pleased, very proud with what they had set up here. And I can understand why, because this is our final proper challenge of Games Master, of, of its original run. And it's a hell of a way to go out, bringing in not just four of the best Tekken players, it's four of the best Tekken players from around the world for a sort of mini tournament here, a bit of a mini league to crown who was the ultimate Tekken 3 player. I absolutely adore, adore the setup for this. Devil's Advocate, I kind of wish we'd had six players. I maybe split this over two episodes because I just feel like with four players, it's played round robin. Okay, that's absolutely fine. But it does mean the writing is on the wall actually like relatively quickly. And I think if we'd split it over two episodes, we'd have got more gameplay from each. It's it's one of those things. We had this with the Tetsujin challenge as well in, in Series 6 where we kind of said, you know, I'd have probably done away with the celebrity challenge and just focused the whole episode on... Uh, the, the Tetsujin. But with that said, I think the other thing we came to is that it is a nice little palate cleanser in between because you do end up watching the same thing happening again and again. I don't think that would be the same case here, though, because I think if you'd have just done this, even playing everyone twice, you'd have probably got different results each time. You know, Jeff versus Show might have gone a different way. Jeff versus Oyster might have gone a different way. You would have ended up with a bigger league. And you're right, because like by the time we get into the, the final bounce of this, you're just fighting for who is last and who is first. And it only really feels like the tournament's only just getting started. I did want more out of it. Maybe it would have been more interesting if, and again, this would have required split over multiple episodes. If you only had four, make it so they play each other twice. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, just play each other twice and away you go. Or three times or, you know, or something. Just basically, even if you end up showing less, just make it so there's a decent amount of matches, but also it would have made that bout difference way more interesting because you could have had someone lose a match the first time against their opponent two bouts down but then beat them two bouts clean and therefore just nullify that difference it would have been it'd have been something extra and yeah you're right you don't have to show every fight you could have cut to the news cut to some reviews as your palate cleanser and then when you come out of them be like here's what happened during those vts and just show some like positive highlights of the fights and you know so you are not just showing the same thing over and over again. It's a bit of a controversial celebrity challenge that we get to in a little bit anyway. But for my money, I would have, yeah, absolutely just sacked it off anyway and just focused this solely on the tournament. And it's, I think this is my big frustration I've had with Series 7 that maybe we'll dive into more when we get to the series wrap-up. Series 7 is at its best when it is Games Master taking itself a bit seriously and trying to show off games playing skill as opposed to being a bunch of silly nonsense. And I feel I should quantify that. I'm saying, oh, I wish I'd done this and I wish I'd done this. And it's not because I think this challenge is bad. For those of you that listened to our live Best of Games Master episode, this was my pick for Series 7. The reason I wish I'd done it slightly differently 
is because I want more. I want more out of it. That's exactly yeah. it. It's, I, I it's great as it. is. It is great as is, but there's a lot on the table to be like, this is going to be an epic, epic challenge. I know we've disagreed somewhat on the reboot of Games Master and you think it was the episode could have been too long. I disagree. But imagine if one of those episodes was just this tournament or a tournament like this. It's a different kettle of fish then. Like it's, and, and I think the only reason, and we maybe we'll, we'll certainly find this when we come back to rewatching those episodes. I think some of those episodes feel long because some of the skits don't work and you probably could have just axed those off and made it a half hour show. But if you'd have had an hour long episode that was just one game focused and it was a tournament like this, it's a different kettle of fish. Absolutely different kettle of fish. And maybe the skits would have landed better because they would have been little palate cleansers between That's rounds. That's exactly yeah. it. But to round this home, let's have our final proper challenge intro from the Games Master. The winner will be decided in the league of six matches. Every challenger will play everybody else only once. Each match will take the form of the best of three bouts with all game options set to their factory defaults. I think my champions are ready, so <laughs> let's get going. Do you know what I love more than a good Games Master introduction to a challenge, Luke? What's that? It's a Games Master introduction to a challenge that ends with a f***ing awful edit. <laughs> it's a proper, you are very good at turning me on edit of... That is a clip of Patrick Moore from a completely different day with a completely different blood alcohol level. But I do like that they very much set up here that it's you play each other once, it's across three fights, and this is crucial, the game on factory defaults. I always like that little bit of detail in there. That was clearly put in there for the fighting game people they knew would be watching because average Bob the Kid at home watching this with his spaghetti hoops not me. does I, not I, give... I, like, I what, what does factory defaults mean to young Luke? It, it means nothing. It just sounds cool. But to the people watching at home, the people that will be hanging around Vegas or Namco Wonder Park or, you know, any of those other arcades that are still there, or like Sega in Harrow and that, they'll be going, ah, factory defaults, eh? I'll tell you what factory defaults to me is, as a 12-year-old boy watching this, blast processing. That's exactly what factory defaults is. Now, blast processing sounds cooler. But but that's what I mean. It's just, it, I, if I was then at school the following day, I'd be like, oh, did you hear? It was on factory default settings. That That's a really cool thing. It's not something you'd use for advertising. It's like new Mega Drive with... Factory, factory defaults. <laughs> Ryan, uh, let's start with you. Um, why? What is it about Tekken 3, uh, the whole Tekken series of games, that you think makes them better than other beat-em-ups? Well, when, when hits connect, you actually see the blow. You actually see the spark. You know, you, you feel the solid hit. And not, not really many other games have done that. Yeah. You know. Jeff, you're from Barclay, uh, yeah, California. Yes, which I think, if, if I'm correct in thinking, it's the, the only place in the world where you can still legally walk around naked. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. I think they might have uh, made a rule. Uh, have you, have you tried yeah, it? Yeah, after. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't say I have, yeah. <laughs> now, Oyston, you talk to other Tekken players on the internet and you think that helps you learn the psychology of how to play? Well, probably. And um, another problem is that I have no one at my skill level to play in Norway. Yeah. And, uh, and finally, show obviously in Japan, a little bit crazier than, than, we, than we are here. Is, is there like thousands of people playing Tekken in Japan? Yeah, about 5,000 uh, 5, people playing in Tekken. 5,000 people playing. Yeah. But the four challengers come out and Don welcomes them all. He starts with Ryan and he asks, what is it about this game or this series of games that makes them better than the others? And I think what Ryan says definitely has merit in that 
because of the sound system and particularly on the arcade where it has beefy speakers in there, you feel the connection. There's the spark of a connection. You know when a blow connects solidly by the level of flair around it, if you were. And uh, yeah, I, I absolutely get that. There is something very satisfying, both playing and watching Tekken, when a good solid blow lands and you feel the crunch, you know? Mm. It's not gratuitous like the uh, the bone breaks in the recent Mortal Kombat, but it does mean you know you landed it. Or even like back in, you know, in context in the time, Mortal Kombat as it is then, because if you hit someone, blood spurts out. Like it is a gratuitous way of that blow, that blow connected. I think this is more satisfying than the blood spurt. Yeah, that's what that's what I mean. Is like that you know that's just a, a gratuitous way of showing you that a, a blow has connected. Um, whereas this is more of a yeah satisfying um, and visually appealing, I guess as well, because like I, I do like the electricity thing. It's blue or it's red if it's you know it, it even harder hit and things like that. So there is some things. There's some really nice things around tech, and it's just it's not it's not a game that I particularly enjoys. He moves on to Jeff. Jeff's from Berkeley, California. Apparently, one of the few places in America where you can still walk around naked. Jeff is decidedly unimpressed with this and does not know what to say or what to do. He has not watched this show. <laughs> I was and it was at this point Jeff realised what show he was on. The beach didn't give it away. The no. scantily clad women did not give it away. Nope. The fact nope. that he was playing for a phallic trophy did not give it away. Nope. But Dom talking about him taking his clothes off, apparently that was when the nickel dropped. It it really is. It's a moment of just like, oh, well, that's a weird question to be asked. Particularly because the question that Ryan gets asked is a serious question about Tekken. So it's a real like left turn to then just be going like, so do you walk around with your knob out in California? He's like, oh, um, I, I, I they must have changed that. I don't know. And so I was like, have you tried it? And out of I, I clearly didn't know what to say. He goes, oh, I must have done. And then just like, and then he just sort of goes into himself a little bit. And Dom's like, cool. Oyston, <laughs> you know, people on the internet. I think maybe, maybe there's a chance that Dom and Ryan would have met previously because you've got the Lynch connection, you've got the fighting tournaments. So he already knew that he could throw Ryan a serious question and get a good answer. They are setting the... Ryan up here to be like the star of this tournament. Like they are yeah. pegging him to win this whole thing because he's just won the Tekken Championships, beating Shohiraki, no less. Who also gets kind of a serious question as well. Yeah. So Oyston and Jeff are the outsiders. But yeah, Oyston serves the internet, talking to other players, learning from psychology, learning from their tactics. It's a smart move and one that still applies today. His biggest issue is there is no one of his skill level to play in Norway. Now that sounds like a brag, but it's part of the reason why Sho's moved over. He's moved over to train. People travel to train. People move. I know wrestlers that went to Canada to train with Lance Storm and they went there because it was the best place to train at the time for what they were trying to do. And if he's in Norway and he's running an arcade, he sees the caliber of players coming through the door. And if he's got an arcade machine at home, that's because he's like, well, my best bet is just to go home and play against the computer. Oh, wait, sorry. This is Games Master. My best bet is to go home and play with myself. There it is. Uh, and that will be what comes to slightly bite him later on, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's, we lastly get asked about show and how big Tekken is in Japan. He doesn't really kind of know how to answer this question either, but you can see him looking over to the translator to find out what it is that Dom is actually asking and just sort of gives the gives the sort of bland answer of, yeah, 5,000 people play it. I think what he's taken the question to be is, how many people were at the last tournament you played in? And That's, the answer yeah. is, 5,000 people, which 
with that assumed context, because it's actually the most obvious way to assume he's taken that question, that's bloody impressive. Exactly. When you consider we're getting to that level now with Evo, and in fact, it's beyond that level with Evo and stuff like that. But this is also 1998. Yeah, this is early doors of, you know, like even in ryan's early career here he's only done like a handful of small tournaments based around for kiss fm this is not like grand stage stuff that the the fighting tournaments are about to become but that's kind of what i would assume his answer is based around as well because if his answer is just five thousand people in tokyo play this game that's a shockingly low number considering what the population of tokyo is but dom is very very excited about this he says it's the biggest tournament they've had on games master it's kind of this there's a real prestige to it Again, kind of a, you know, devil's advocate on this one. I kind of wish it had been somewhere other than the beach. This would have been a prime example of going to Namco Wonder Park, of going to a Sega World and have Dom presenting this with a crowd actually there. Have it on location in an arcade get the smell the taste the feel the carpet that yeah i would agree with that as well like i think this it needs something bigger and grander about it than just being on the the desert island set which almost instantly gives us this like cheap feel despite the fact that it is a very very impressive set nonetheless it's got water in it um but it, it, it is a slight disconnect to it. But Dom's clearly so proud of this tournament and so proud of how this has come together in a short space of time as well. Where, you know, it's, it's worth remembering how short of a production time frame they had for Series 7. So he's very, very proud of this. And like I, again, I do not want to sound like the Dave Perry of this podcast, but this show is at its best when it is taking itself seriously and showing off the best games players at a certain game. Helping me to describe the action for our Tekken 3 World Championship is Mr. Derek Lynch. Now, people have often asked me, why is Derek Lynch qualified to talk about beat-em-ups? Well, put it this way, we actually played each other earlier on today. Derek beat me without even looking at the screen. <laughs> that is how good Mr. Red Hot Lynch is. But who better to have co-commentating one last time with Mr. Diamond on this most prestigious of challenges. It is, of course, Namco's Derek Lynch. And Dom wants to know, why is he qualified to talk about beat-em-ups? I mean, people ask him this, Luke. People ask. The people deserve to know, why is he qualified? Well, I don't know why I would think that the guy who basically runs Namco Wonder Park would be very good at commentating on a Namco game. But, you know, maybe he's got some pedigree to him. Apparently, he can beat Dominic Diamond at Tekken without even looking at the screen. That either means he's very good or Dominic is very poor. It could be. It could go either way. I'd imagine it's actually more the latter. Uh, and I really uh, like Dominic's description of the leaderboard, which is, if you don't like football, you won't get it. However, if you do watch football, this makes complete sense to you. I knew enough about football to go, right, it's goal difference, but bout. Yeah. It's actually a very clever way to do it. And I think it's done in a lot of other tournaments at this point anyway. So yeah, yeah it makes absolute perfect sense. Also, I do want to point out, this is the first time for an episode I've included screenshots in my notes because every time the league table came up, I took a screenshot and pasted it into my Google Doc because I'm like, I'm not writing that down. Way easier to screenshot it. So we're kicking things off. It's UK versus Norway, Ryan versus Oyston, with Ryan as Paul and Oyston as Hey Hatchie. And there's a, I don't want to say the fights are similar because actually all of the fights seem very, very different, but they some, sometimes follow a similar pattern in a way, which is someone starts strong, then someone makes a hell of a comeback and wins. 
And that's what we get in this first match here because Oyston starts very strong, but Ryan makes a hell of a comeback to get the first win. It is possible in most all of the Tekken games to land the first hit and then continue to land the hit and win a perfect. Like you can chain combos together. And so that's why when these bouts start, you can tell there is immediately, one of them might throw a punch out of the gate, but quite often, if that punch misses, there is a feeling out process of them shuffling backwards and forwards, trying to goad the other into making a move that they can dodge or duck or block or parry or counter. It is not always the most exciting, visceral gameplay to watch, but it is some of the most technical gameplay that we've had on a fighting game on Games Master. I mean, we've seen an example of that when they had Tekken 2 on the show and, you know, find the best combo that you possibly can. And the guy playing as King found the five throw combo, which was all about like power bombs and German suplexes and the other. And it just gets you a perfect right out the gate. There are several ways within Tekken to just combo and string things together in order to just completely annihilate your opponents. The second round is slightly more even, but Oyston just about takes it. But when we get into the third fight, you start to see Oyston's tactic, which is stay a bit away and just sort of like stay out of the firing line. Don't get too close because the third round feels quite static. It's neither of them really advancing to the other. It's, it's very much just a, a feeling out process to the point where the time runs out and Oyston wins essentially by default because he had the most hits landed. And he so he's declared the winner, and immediately they're like, man, and we thought Ryan was going to be the favourite going into this because he's just won the previous tournament. So next round, Japan USA, Jeff is Law, show is Tiger, aka a palette swap for Eddie Gordo. They even call him Eddie in this, like despite the fact that it says Tiger up there and he is a different character, Bucky O'Hare is. They're saying, yeah, he's playing as Eddie. But on this second bout, it's a much more even first round. There's trading back and forth of blows and the health gets whittled down on, on both sides fairly equally. But when they're down to about halfway, Show lands a combo and boom, that's it. Jeff is down, Show takes the first round. But in that second fight, uh, one of the things I kind of liked about Jeff uh, as a player here is he's very good at predicting what the other person's going to do. It's almost like you take the first round loss so you can then use that against them when you come round to it in the in the second one. And that is what he does here. He essentially just predicts everything that Show is going to do, blocks everything perfectly, almost all of the time, really, and he gets that win. It's a very, very cool fight. He's awesome in this one. And Dom is so enthusiastic in his commentary. He is having a great time with this. And Jeff wins. So the finalists of uh, the Tekken tournament that took place at Namco Wonder Park that Derek Lynch would have been, and I probably would put money on that Dominic Diamond was there for as well. The finalists there both lost their first fights. And I would, I would have thought they probably thought they were the favourites going in. I mean, spoilers for what's to come. The league table is currently the exact opposite of where we end for the final match. But Dominic Diamond, what does that table look like? One we can see that Jeff and Oyston are tied at the top with uh, one win and a bout difference of plus one because they won both the bouts 2-1. And equally, Ryan and Shaw are tied at the other end of the table. No points with a minus one bout difference. I mean, it's kind of a rectangular. looks a bit like a spreadsheet, Luke. Yeah, looks like a football league. Or if you're a nerd, a spreadsheet. So yeah, so Jeff is there, basically in the number one position. Like Jeff and Oyston are tied because they've got the exact same score. One win uh, with two rounds win and one loss against them. So that's three points and a plus one. 
while Ryan and Show sit at the bottom on a, with a minus one point difference with zero points on the board. And we go straight into the second round of matches. Next, it's Great Britain versus USA. And this is Great Britain's last chance to make it towards the top. Jeff is playing as Nina. Ryan is sticking with Paul. And while he takes damage initially, he manages to return the favour, including, I think, our first proper example of air juggling in this tournament, of that whole keepy-uppy you can do in Tekken, which is a very cool tactic and a very cool way to chain damage together. And that leads to the first round going to him. Without that air juggling, I think it would have been a different story. And it's also Jeff's the really the only player as well that changes who he is. He's gone from playing as Law uh, going up against Show to playing as, playing as Nina going up against Ryan. There's technically a you know a difference when Show changed from being Tiger to Eddie, but they are more or less a, a, a palette swap. But this is Jeff literally changing the character that he is, and he sticks with Nina again after this. I'd, I'd be very curious to know as to why he changed his character after one round, especially around that he won. If he'd have lost, I'd have been like, okay, cool. He's changing up what he's doing. But he won and then changed the end. So I'd, I'd be very curious to know as to why he made that change. Especially curious as to why he stuck with it, because second round, he takes no prisoners. He goes for the ground and pound and finishes the round with a throw. He takes this match 2-0. Ryan is right back in the frame of being top dog on this competition. Yeah, Ryan blocks a lot of Jeff's offense and just nails him with those throws and then gets another throw in for the final one. It was a really great fight and Ryan wins 2-0 up, taking no losses whatsoever there. Not only did he need that win, he needed it to be a big win. But Derek has this odd line at the end of this where he just says, UK, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's the last regular episode, Derek gonna Derek. So we go on to Oyston against Sho, Oyston staying as Hihachi, Sho staying as Eddie slash Tiger, Eddie Tiger, there we go. Uh, Sho makes short work of Oyston in this round, takes the victory, and we do cut to Oyston, who's shaking his head of just going, man, if only I had better players to play against in Norway. The fishing is wonderful, but the Tekken scene is shit. Yeah, you can see some frustrations here. And again, it's more of that defensive play, a lot of that staying back, running away almost. That running away makes it sound like it's a cowardly thing. It's not. It's 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 a tactical thing. It just it does not work out for him at all because Sho just it knows how to completely dominate him and annihilate him in that because he basically does dominate that first round to get the win. And second round, Show stays on the offensive. He doesn't really give Oyston a chance to get his breath back. And boom, another 2-0 victory. Oyston had no answers for him there. So we have seen just the league table completely switch around at this point. Because it's not just that Ryan and Show both won their matches. They both won them 2-0. And that means that the table is going to be so complicated. We're going to need an entire celebrity challenge and a commercial break in order to work out what it is. So I suppose we better head on over to Games Master to find out what is our final celebrity challenge and our final challenge intro from Patrick Moore. Since, alas, it seems this is the last challenge I'll ever set, I prepared something really special to see us out. The arcade horse racing sim final furlough. Perched on the perverse plastic thingy, my two contestants must race each other to the vicinity post on the one-mile track by furiously pumping the reins of their hapless nag. Right, well, let's get ready for the off. So I guess we're going with something special? Question mark? Question mark. I mean, he basically calls this perverse. 
and and he's he's not wrong. Final Furlong is like an amazingly fun game. I mean, Tech Radar, Gerald Lynch, no relation, probably, placed it among the top 50 best arcade games of all time ever. And I can see why, because, you know, we love a unique gimmick game mechanic on this podcast. We love it in Games Master. We love it if we go to Heart of Gaming. Bicycles, cool. Motorbikes, cool. F-Zero things that tilt and whirl around. The afterburners, all cool. Luke, this is a fucking horse. Exactly, yeah. We are really in, and Series 7 is rife with this gimmick arcade machines. You know, we had one not that long ago that was a skateboard. We had one that was a raft. We've had one that's been bicycles. This has just been what can we add onto a arcade machine that isn't just another light gun game or a stand and play strolling beat em up. Uh, put a horse on there. Uh, put a dog on there. Put a car on there. Put a bike on there. I don't know. Uh, put a. What else can we put on there? Like, well, I'm amazed they didn't go as far as to having like kitchen utensils and you do like cooking mama style games that you could have done as an arcade thing. I'm sad we never got one of the Bass Pro Sega fishing games because <laughs> they are, they're a lot of fun. Particularly, I think there's at least one where there is like kind of you get water spritz as a fish like jumps out the water in front of you and stuff like the sea fishing ones i think a friend of mine has got a uh, sega bass fishing tattoo in fact wow that's i mean i like my fishing but that's a that's a reach it's his favorite game ever and he's got it tattooed on his forearm and i i know that he's got it tattooed on his forearm because i bet him that he wouldn't do it and i would cut all my hair off this is when i had long hair and he did it so it's when i that's the whole reason i don't have long hair now is because i cut it all off because my friend got a uh, sega bass fishing tattoo now is that he loves bass fishing that much or he was just really convinced you'd look better without long hair. It was he'd already decided he was going to do it. I just did not believe him. <laughs> so basically, you made an oops. I oh, I won, it was a complete oops on my part. Uh, but yeah, he said he was going to get it done. No, and he was going to get it done. Uh, and I quite stupidly said that he wouldn't do it. So we have this game here. It's a Namco game. So also the other factor in does it have a stupid peripheral is will it fit in the back of Derek Lynch's van so he can borrow it from Wonder Park and bring it to the studio for the day. But it runs on Namco's, well, mm, it runs on the System 23 hardware-ish. It's actually on kind of a prototype. I think we've mentioned it before, the Gorgon board, mm. when Namco were going as really cool code names, which is way better than 22.5. But you've got three different track lengths to choose from. You can have up to four of the horses linked together. I mean, we see this here in its kind of standard two-player module, so 1v1. But it does appear you could, like a lot of other Namco titles and indeed racing titles in general, link multiple machines together. You could have up to four players on this, allegedly. I'm going by Namco's flyer. I've got a memory of seeing it in the wild like this, but I couldn't tell you where or when. I've only ever seen it as a two thing. Uh, it, I mean, it's listed in like the 1001 games you should play before you die. And I get the impression that's a lot like when we did um, uh, our Games Master magazine feature um, uh, a few seasons back about like the 50 games you should play before you die. One of those was playing eight player Daytona. I get the impression that's probably why this is in the list as well, because it's such a, a wacky contraption that you should really try and play this before you die. I'm pretty sure I would have played this in an arcade um, around this time because this probably would have been down at my local one, uh, down at the bowling alley. It's the sort of thing that definitely would have been there because it's, you know, it, it's it's an attractive proposition of look how silly this is, 
and it's very interactive. And, you know, I'm a frequent traveler to Hastings. I haven't checked for a while, but I bet you it's there as well. Just so you know, I've just found page two of the official Namco flyer, and it says, I quote, link two cabinets for the ultimate four-player racing experience. There you so go. there we go, straight from the horse's mouth. But who is going to be mounting these old nags for one final race? We've gone for the fantastic integrity again to play this horses again. Please welcome from player cards by Brucey's favourite girls, Debbie Flett and Emma Noble. Yeah! You? Welcome, Emma. Now, horses, horse-wise, do you have any experience with them, Debbie? Um, well, I've been horse-riding, haven't you? I was bucked off horses when I was about You were what, 14. I beg your pardon? Bucked off <laughs> horses. Right, OK. When I was about 14. Uh-huh. And that's the only experience I've had, so I'm... Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing like that's going to happen today. Uh, Debbie, have you been to the horse racing or anything like that? Yeah, I've been um, to horse, ride, horse racing in Canada. Yeah. And I've also been to the dogs as well in Wimbledon. <laughs> Same dogs. sort of thing. Kind of <laughs> of betting. And uh, I'm going to the dogs. Yes. No. <laughs> it's just something that happens. Uh-huh. So this is, Dom fancies them. They're, they're fit birds off the telly. So Dom's brought them into, you know, beyond this show. It is not the, I mean, and, and Series 7, Dom has admitted as he's copped to this in the book. Series 7 is only guests that he was either friends with or he fancied. And this is the latter of, of those options. I mean, I will say they definitely know why they're there. It's like Catalina last week. Yeah, they, they know why they're there. And also, let's be blunt, they dressed for the occasion. They dressed like they were going to be on Play Your Cards Right or The Price is Right or you know whichever game show they happened to be on that week. I will say for Emma Noble, um, while she did start as a catwalk model, she did go on and uh, do some acting. In fact, technically, she preceded her quiz show career by appearing in Crossroads, but I'm not sure I'd count that as actual acting. Uh, she was also in Jonathan Creek, Casualty. She was in a Dennis Potter film, Cold Lazarus, which was the one when there were two Dennis Potter plays turned into TV dramas. And one of them, I think, aired on BBC Two and one of them on Channel 4. It was a weird cross-broadcaster thing. I've just gone on to, uh, I just Googled Emma Noble, Jonathan Creek, just so I could see where she was. And I think she's just a, background oh i know which bit she's in there's a jonathan creek episode with a sort of a parody of benny hill and she is in that sequence as basically a background actor for it where she throws a banana skin oh also oh, it's a it's a lead role <laughs> a lead in that tv show within a tv show she wasn't even the lead role there, I guess. I mean, I will say, I've just checked the uh, the immediate cast for Cold Lazarus. I can't see her name listed there, so clearly it was also another another lead role. This is, you know, Emma Harrison was starred in Street Fighter, as opposed to Emma Harrison is Australian and Street Fighter needed to have a certain amount of Australian actors in its background in order to get those tax breaks. But, you know, she had a fairly storied career. She's done a lot of work for charity. She's a global ambassador for the National Autistic Society. She was married to John Major's son. Uh, that did not end well. <laughs> there was an acrimonious divorce. No good ever comes when you see the acrimonious and uncontested. Unreasonable behaviour, Bucky O'Hare is. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd say your first mistake would have been marrying anyone related to John Major. Former Games Master contestant John Major. Yeah, I mean, that should have been the first alarm bells is when John Major appears on Games Master. But she's remarried since. Quite a big wedding at Canterbury Cathedral. That's got some money to throw around. And 
yeah, so she's she's doing fine. She's she's around and she's still doing stuff. She at least has a Wikipedia page, unlike her co-host. Yeah. Or her, her co, co-star? Her co-babe? For the prices right? Don't know what you'd co-worker. call Co-worker. Co-worker. There you go. <laughs> There we are. There's a co in there somewhere that will work. Uh, what can we say about Debbie Flett? She also did some acting uh, after this mainly. She appeared in Stalker, South Kensington, a doghouse. She's been married to musician Stephen Booth since the mid-2000s. And nowadays, she can mainly be found on QVC. To quote a bird from the Flintstones, it's a living. It is a living. At least she's still working. But she also did appear on a number of other Saturday night TV shows. She worked with Richard Branson. She was the virgin girl for the while. And yeah, so she they're, they're both doing fine. Yeah, and you're right. They they know what what show they're on. They probably know more about what show they're on than Jeff does. And they know why they are here as well, in the same way that Kathleen did last week, the same that Emma Harrison knew uh, a few episodes back. They are here to be giggly, flirty girls that dumb fancies and is going to make sort of do a very silly challenge. And I, I mean, I, I did get a bit of a laugh out of though when, uh, you know, they said, I'll be, I, I didn't actually know which one was which for for a long while of this because they don't they don't really address each other by name at, at you know early doors and then Emma was once bucked off by a horse and Tom just goes I beg your pardon she knew what she was doing exactly it's a good play I I enjoyed this but Debbie's got the the really odd part of this where she's like oh yeah I've been to horse races in Canada. And I'm going to the dogs, which is basically the same. Well, I thought it was like, I mean, there was the joke in there of like gone to the dogs as in things going bad. These two definitely knew what they were doing. They knew where to pitch it. They were like, right, like working with Bruce, but muckier. Plus, they're models. The Girl Fridays are models. There is a chance that they either knew each other on some level or just when they arrived, they were like, oh, okay, same career. So the Girl Fridays gave them the skinny. They let them know what was going on with this show and they just rolled with it. I mean, they definitely had a better idea of what they were in for than, say, All Saints. Yeah, this is it's celebrity in, in the loosest sense of the word. And I, you've just, uh, just based on what you said then, it's just, just clicked with me that I think they missed an opportunity with. This should have been the Girl Fridays. This should have been Helena and Leanne. What a wonderful final celebrity challenge that would have been for Helena and Leanne to be the contestants. Hypothesis, they suggested it, and Helena and Leanne saw exactly what had happened with some of the other celebrities and went, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> Done. yeah, probably not, though. But after they talk about going to the dogs, there is another hard edit that implies something was said by one of them, and the editors just went, nope, we can nope. still get fined. <laughs> It's commercial break time. Remember, in the second half of the show, we are going to have the final of the World Tech 3 Championship, as well as these two semi-professional horse riders. We'll see you after this break. When your pack of hungry little wolves come home from school, give them delicious Nutella on chunky bread and watch them turn into little lambs. Nutella, made with great tasting ingredients to help satisfy a healthy appetite. Thanks, Mum! Nutella helps satisfy a healthy appetite. Nagano Winter Olympics 98 on PlayStation and Nintendo 64. The next best thing to actually being there. Music does so much more for me in the dark. 
floors or furnishings. Go on, try it in the dark. Johnny? Yeah? What are you writing? Nothing. Oh. Why? No reason. Oh. Johnny? Did you know St. Valentine was beaten with clubs and then beheaded? <laughs> Find out what's going on with Johnny and Denise on The Big Breakfast. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Better than a diamond ring because it's zirconium, and zirconium isn't going to wear out like diamonds. No. A plus, a brand new body hair enhancement system, which thickens chest hair in seconds, and it comes in five completely natural colors. You'll know. Fat neck, thin neck, long neck, short neck. You got it like that. You tidy it round, and there you go. Thankfully, there's no mistaking a McDonald's original like this McRib, succulent, boneless pork, and barbecue sauce for an amazing 139. Another great way to enjoy more at McDonald's. Art Magic is a brilliant new magazine to collect that will teach you all about drawing and painting in a fun way. Issue 1 has a sensational Art Magic facts file free to take care of your personal stuff with arty tips, projects, and puzzles, plus this awesome sticker sheet. Wicked! Get more out of art. Get Art Magic. Love, a unique collection of 38 classic love songs with the latest hits from All Saints and Texas. And the massive number one, Perfect Day. Plus Lighthouse Family, Elton John, Wet 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 and Backstreet Boys. Love, out now on double CD and cassette. Debbie Flett and Emma Noble are about to play Final Four Long, and we're joined by the most serious of Games Master Co. Commentators, Mr. Kirk Ewan. Kirk, it's the final time we will stand together in this box. How do you feel? Well, I'm not sad about it, because quite frankly, I think it's time that you loosened your Fagin-like grip on me, and I won't have to do any of these nighttime services for you anymore. <laughs> well, for one final time, Kirk Ewing is in the booth with his heads jacket as well, because he's a smart lad. He's going on TV. You've got to get that promotion out there. That's free advertising, that. He's also pretty happy because 
it may be the last time he'll stand alongside Dominic, but Dom's had a vice-like, a Fagan vice-like grip on him, so he doesn't have to perform any of those nighttime services anymore. I mean, I'm assuming it either involves a bedpan or wanking Dom off. Or both. Yeah, and really, this had to be Kirk Ewing. This challenge couldn't have been anyone other than Kirk Ewing. He made his debut commentating on Baby Rom, and he is ending this commentating on celebrity, celebrity Bucky O'Hare is final furlong. But Kirk is taking this seriously because he does have gameplay advice because, Luke, it's all about adopting the position. Now, as far as uh, horses go and these uh, electronic ones in particular, <laughs> what tips have you got for the girls? Well, I mean, the basic tips here are not not, not to bolt out too fast. You want to be adopting the right position. It's very difficult to, to show you this. But you I wanna, can see it, though. You want to be getting kind of, yeah. you know, this going. Now, did you, I don't know if you caught that, but that's what you want. If you get that and you just keep it tidy all the way through the race, then you've got a chance. I wish he'd come out from behind the common Commentator's booth for this because he is he's getting into it. I think it's almost funnier that it's behind the booth because then because he goes they can't see what I'm doing anyway. They just see like him kind of like his hips moving a bit and his hand flailing up and down. In fact, you're right. It is funnier when he's behind the commentator's booth, and and they and the girls find it very funny. In fact, if you listen closely, I think all four of the girls find it very funny. Kirk has clearly got the role of class clown here. So, I mean, there isn't a whole lot to say about the challenge itself. They buck up and down. They uh, they they have lots of gratuitous shots of them while doing it. They are both ignoring the on-screen instruction of you're going too fast, but it's only a one-mile race, so I don't think it's going to affect them too badly anyway. And it's just dom and kirk doing very pervy commentary and i mean I, i'll give kirk a little bit of credit he does make a devo reference so that that is you know that's five points in my book but this is probably the perviest the show ever got yes and maybe maybe the emma one maybe, maybe the, the rapid river one might or, have been more or zoe ball as well i mean that was yeah. very pervy actually like, yeah you're right like i don't know i mean put this way this is not a great challenge my note is they're going too fast the game's encouraging them to use the whip dom and kirk are yelling the girls are yelling debbie is definitely taking it more seriously though and at the end of the day that is probably why she wins because they're all yelling but debbie is also hyper focused yeah, they are having as much of a giggle as two people down at the local arcade would have been playing this game. This is Final Furlong. It's not Tekken 3. There are no Final Furlong UK championships being held at Namco Wonder Park. This but is, there should be. But <laughs> this is just knockabout fun. As Dom explains in the book, it's a knockout, but with knob gags. That's exactly what this challenge is. It's it is one of the game's master challenges that has aged poorly. It has aged poorly, and I and it's not good for that. But there's also not a huge amount to say about it either, other than exactly what you said. They go too fast. It doesn't actually matter, but everyone laughs. Would it have aged just poorly if they were in jeans and t-shirts, or is it because they're in the little cocktail dresses? I think it's the cocktail dresses and the commentary. I think even even if they're in jeans and t-shirts, the commentary still would have probably made it as age poorly for me at the very least no I, I agree with that definitely but yeah debbie wins and dom says well that was very exciting to watch but let's talk about the race yep 
He sure Bank does. Jokes. Yep. What can I say? That was very, very exciting to watch. Fantastically exciting to watch. <laughs> now, if we could talk about the race. Now, uh, you, you did all right, actually, there, Emma, but I think you got beaten by a, a, a very short length. I got beaten by a whip. <laughs> yeah. He started oh. whipping me. Yeah. <laughs> She's always doing that. She's so uh-huh. out of control. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. This is great. Actually, I have to come up with any windows, but this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Was yeah. it very tiring? Well, I'm quite competitive, you see, uh-huh. and I, I'm, I was actually possessed. I don't know if you noticed. Yep. Well, I was like, Debbie, let's have so, some fun. Well, and Debbie was like, no. <laughs> the thing is, you, you, you say that you were possessed, Debbie. So was I. At one stage, I was quite rigid. Yeah. Really? And it was, uh, I'm glad that we had that effect on you, Dominic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to miss the show. Emma was beaten by a short length. Let's just leave that one where it lies. And Emma plays into it by saying Debbie started whipping her. Yeah. She's always whipping me. And Dom's just like, I'm my, my work here is done. I don't need to do anything else. You girls just carry on and I will just stand here. And that's when Debbie's like, I was possessed to become so competitive. And Dom's so like, yep, yeah, I mean, I'm, I became possessed too as well. Like, I was so rooted on the action. I became quite rigid. And Debbie's like, well, I'm glad we have that effect on you. And this challenge has aged poorly, but also they are definitely leaning into it. That's exactly it. Like, you could have scripted this for carry on and it would have played the same yeah but dom clearly realizes this is as good as it's going to get for him because he's just like i'm going to miss this show so this is this is more or less one of the challenges that gets brought up so violet berlin we mentioned this earlier in the in the podcast run she brought this up in uh, the the zx files in 1997 i don't want to bother working myself up about it as far as I can make out, the root of the problem lies in the fact that the show doesn't appear to believe that games are at all interesting. Sims of this include the obligatory ho ho ho, lads AAA, glamour girls, the relentless parade of ooh, are we impressed celebrities. As a games player, I find Games Master insulting. As a woman, I find it misogynistic. As a television professional, I find it mediocre. Oh damn, I didn't mean to say all of that. Uh, the first series was good though, that was a breath of fresh air. And... This does get brought up specifically as to, you know, the, the sort of the challenges that they were doing. And Johnny Finch writes here, we were setting up some ridiculous challenges with a couple of models on Final Furlong. And I could hear on the feedback that one of the runners, Millie, was lightly expressing that this was absolutely pitiful, the way that these women are being brought in to ride on horses on some daft arcade machine. I said to her, look, our audience is young men and we are just monkeys and this is just male monkey entertainment. It's probably hard to defend now, but it is what it is. This discussion with Millie led to us beginning to interact and getting to know each other, and that's how I met my wife. So all's well that ends well? I guess, in a way, something did come out of this challenge, and not just from Dom's bellend. Not just from not Dom's just. bellend. Kirk, was, Kirk as well. You know what? Violet was right. Violet is right. Millie was right. Millie is right. Johnny is also right. Yeah, everyone's right. As, as everyone is having fun on this challenge... Every single bit of commentary I just read there was also right. Yeah, like you just because something is right doesn't mean that the other perspective has to be wrong, particularly when you look at what the core audience was. And I'm like, that core audience did include me and did include you. Yeah, totally. And I probably didn't think there was anything wrong with it at the time. And I look back at it now and I'm just like, well, that has aged poorly. Amazingly, the bar for what has aged poorly from the 90s has changed considerably because. You know, if we hadn't had some of the scandals about people from the 80s and 90s that we've had, this would probably be absolutely horrific. But as it is, it's way down the list of horrific stuff from the 80s and 90s. Absolutely. 
so but that doesn't mean like you there were some people that really wanted this thing to come back for new games master and i'm really glad it didn't yeah this is not the bit of games master that should have ever made its return and i think people are misremembering it somewhat but maybe it's also people who are just you know nostalgic for that lad culture era because it's not just that this is on tv fhm is one of the biggest selling magazines in the country loaded like fhm and loaded are mainstream publications lad culture is a mainstream part of british society at this period of time and games master is reflective of that and in 1992, when the show started, it was reflective of almost like the bedroom nature of gaming. And this is just reflective of the lad culture that gaming has sort of become part of. There's a weird thing that's just come into my head, because at this time, I wasn't really reading FHM, but I was reading Loaded, because uh, Howard Marks had a column in there. Dr. Mick was doing the letters page on the back, medical advice and stuff. And it was very, very silly. And of course, there were glamour models, there were centerfolds, there were this, that and the other. And I've just realised a key difference between me and some of the other target audience, I wasn't taking it seriously. Mm. I was reading it going, this is stupid. Like I wasn't reading the articles on going on a binge in Amsterdam and thinking, oh, that sounds great. I'm going to do that in a month's time with the lads, 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 lads. I was reading it going, well, that sounds like a fucking train wreck or whatever, you know, elder teenage me was thinking of it. And maybe that's why I also see it slightly differently in my in my head now because there are people still out there today that would like this to come back as this is because they don't think the world should have moved on or they did take it seriously then and they do take it seriously now it's fascinating it's our last traditional episode of games master and it is actually bringing us the best and worst of games master in one 30 minute package it's perfect in that in that sense really it is a perfect encapsulation of games master or what games master became it's pure dom and mate but with that vestibule of but when they get things right or when they do take it seriously they get it absolutely spot on perfect more or less uh it is i i I think the the most startling thing here is that if you were to ask dominic diamond he would tell you that this should not come back like this and maybe that's the person that you should listen to yeah it's amazing how many people ignore the fact that dominic has changed considerably in the intervening yeah 25 30 years. He's not the same man he was then. I think if he was, I wouldn't have enjoyed talking to Dominic so much. I still wouldn't enjoy the interactions we have with him online and social media. Dominic of the 90s was someone I looked up to as a as a teenager. Dominic now is this is this guy who I still kind of look up to, but also is just like this he's he's a cool bloke. Yeah, he's a guy cool I find entertaining and informative. Plus Classic rock radio DJ. I can't fault him on that. For the nation's 1.9 million PlayStation owners, the game of 98 will be Resident Evil 2. After well over a year of development, the title's finally complete and we've got hold of some exclusive footage from Japan. The new game comes on two CDs and is a massive eight times bigger than its predecessor. The action takes place in Raccoon City, which has been overrun by, yes, zombies, hungry for their dinner. The basic style of the game remains, it's a usual mixture of puzzle solving, boss bashing, general carnage, but with improved graphics, sound and a variety of new weapons, Resident Evil 2 seems set to make the original look about as scary as Parappa the Rapper. Released in Japan in a couple of weeks, infuriatingly though, we won't be getting our hands on it till spring. It's up to us to take out Umbrella. 
What a journey we've been on, because we had Resident Evil as a bit of news, then we had a challenge of Resident Evil, then we had the news of Resident Evil 2, the original version of Resident 2 that we now know as 1.5, and here to finish off Games Master's run on Channel 4 in this original series run. Resident Evil 2 is our final bit of news here, a special look, the most anticipated game of 1998, exclusive footage on Japan, talking about how it's on two CDs, it's eight times bigger than its original, all the hallmarks are there, but it's going to make it but it's going to make the original look as scary as Parappa the Rapper. I mean, Parappa the Rapper is fairly scary if Kirk's wearing the costume. Uh, it made me want to play the game. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I enjoyed uh, RE2 Remake to a degree. I actually thought it was a, a pretty decent little game. But you want to talk about a game that I sunk hours into, like you were mentioning with Tekken 3, the game you sunk hours into? Man, did I sink some hours into Resi 2. Me and my friends like completing this game back to front, inside and out. Start one disc, do the next. Start that disc, do the next. Trying to get as bit of a ranking as possible to get all of those costumes. Finding all of the various different secrets in there. Hunk, Tofu, all of that gubbins. I love Resident Evil 2. I bought the board game uh, that, that Steamforge made. And I like it because it's good, but it, I like it more because I can play it on my TARD. And I, I don't often get to uh, play board games with my friends. I'm a dad now, so I can play this on me lonesome. So that's grand. I, I I love this game so so much. It's in my top five games of all time. I've never played the board game. I would love to play the board game. So if you ever do get a chance to play board games when when you're not being a dad, uh, sign me up for that because that sounds like a lot of fun. I think I would like to play this game again. I. See, my brain just goes, well, gravitate towards Resident Evil 2 Remake, but maybe maybe I'll play the GameCube version just to mix it up a little bit. So not quite the original, but also not the full remake. Because this game came out originally on the PlayStation. It broke records set by Final Fantasy VII and Super Mario 64. After a month and a half, it sold 3 million units worldwide. 1.9 of those sold in Japan and over a million sold in the USA. It was absolutely massive. And the important thing to realise as well is it was this massive a game on a game that was rated R or rated 15. This was a BBFC rated game. So this had a technically, because I know parents would have bought it for kids that shouldn't have had it, but a technically narrower audience than your Mario 64 or even your Final Fantasy 7. Yeah, I remember like this game being a 15. I remember I particularly remember magazine coverage of this in games master like i remember buying the copy of games master and taking it to school and having it in science class like i remember this so vividly in 1997 and reading about it and seeing pictures of the liquor and this these new creatures that are being introduced into the game and being very very excited about it but i would not get my hands on this game until december of 1998 when i get my playstation because a kid down the road got their PlayStation before me and got this game. So when I got my PlayStation with FIFA 98, uh, sorry, World Cup 98 and uh, Buster Move 2, and my friend came over with Resi 2, and I, I, that was my first getting to grips with it, because I hadn't played the original either, which I think I mentioned when uh, we, we came to talking about Resident Evil 1 in our timeline. I got hooked, so, so hooked hard on it, and... And it has not let go since. Uh, that first encounter with the liquor is one of those really sticks with you, sticks in the mind, sticks in the memory, 
holds a grip of you. And I I now adore watching people do speedruns of this game in various different capacities. I think it's a beautiful game. I, it's one of those games I wish I could be a speedrunning master at it because I love watching people speedrun it. But there were various versions of Resident Evil 2 over time. There was multiple versions for the PlayStation. We got the DualShock version as well. Nintendo 64. The Nintendo 64 version is a fucking miracle of technology. GameCube version out there as well. Remakes, re-releases, PlayStation networks, call it what you will. It's a game playing phenomenon. And also, Luke, that's it. News. It's a new special. Like they advertised it as a new special, and it feels like a special bit of news as well, because I think Dom's right as well. This is one of the most hyped games of 1998. And yeah, awesome to see it here. Awesome to have it as our final bit of news feature as well. Just pure solid clips of a game that uh, I won't get to play until later on this year in, in our in context. But realistically, which you'll probably be playing within the next week if you get a chance. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I could download Resident Evil 2 on the PS4 that wasn't the remake, I'd have done so. But you know, I think that is enough chat about Resi 2. I want to get back to some Tekken-type situation challenge. But what was that? Do you remember there was like, I don't know, 20 minutes ago, there was a there'll be a table update. I, I wonder if we now have that. We can see that Ryan and Shaw, who were bottom of the league after the first match, are now top of the league. All the players have got three points. But if we add up the amount of individual bouts they've won and take away the ones they've lost, Ryan and Shaw have a plus one bout difference. Jeff and Oyston now have a minus one. Well, Luke, here's an update. That's a table. That It is for sure a table, yeah. And as you can see, Ryan and Show occupy the top spot with their plus one difference and three points, while Jeff and Oyston slip down into joint third uh, with minus one point difference uh, with three points. And again, that kind of highlights the whole, this needed more rounds to kind of break the table up somewhat. Yeah, it's a game of two halves. And by two halves, you've got two people both tied. So... Realistically speaking, Jeff and Oyston can only battle to be last, and Ryan and Sho can only battle to be first. That's all there is left to it. So it, it does work out nicely, and I get that they, I reckon they've done that somewhat specifically and somewhat on purpose, that uh, Sho and Ryan were always going to be the last two to play, probably because they figured that they would be the top of the table at the end of this. And thankfully, sanity prevails. Could, can you imagine if they put the final first and then had Jeff and Oyston going, well, here's your winner. <laughs> Now you two, <laughs> fight for daddy's approval because Jeff and Oyston are up first. It's Nina versus Hayahachi and Oyston takes the first hit and then almost immediately gets revenge and takes a near clean run for that first round. Like once he recovers from that initial flurry, he's just like, nah, mate, you're not having it. And that's where the combo and the juggling comes into play. Mm -hmm. If you can just keep chaining those short combos together, it's really easy to wear your opponent down. Things don't go so well in the second round. Jeff makes a comeback. He comes out, fists are swinging, spamming combos, takes a second round. This is my favorite kind of fighting game match where there's one round apiece. So there has to be a winner. I really like that second round as well, because again, it was more of Oyston's defensive play. And he blocked a lot of what Jeff was throwing at him. But Jeff just whittled him down. Every now and again, just whittling him down, whittling him down, whittling him down to get back that point to go into our decisive third round. And it is an incredible third round fight. It's so great. It's all Jeff. And then Oyston makes this comeback. And it's such an incredible comeback that Derek says, that's it, it's over. Because Jeff has got like a gnat's dick length of health left. And Jeff, with one final flurry, finishes Oyston off. 
it's an amazing climax for third place. You know what? Dominic talks about missing, about how he's going to miss this show. I'm going to miss you using the phrase Nat's dick in the context of video game challenges because whatever comes next, there aren't going to be many opportunities to use it in that exact kind of setting. Unless, of course, we just call the next show we do Nat's dick. <laughs> Welcome to the Nat's dick. That's the name of our theme pub. <laughs> the Nat's dick. It's got a very small sign. Yeah, very tiny sign. You, you really have got to squint to see it. It actually is. Just the sign is the kind of the L frame, two hooks, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Derek. This is it. It all comes down to this game for the World Championship. Great Britain against Japan. Ryan against Shaw. Let's get it on! And it's a great start by show. And it's so, you can tell they're quite evenly matched that even Dom gets confused. And you can, Dom is such a cheerleader for Ryan that show goes on this dominating run. And Dom goes, What a great start for Ryan. And then Derek has to be like, No, 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 it's, it's Eddie that's doing well. Show's actually currently winning. And it's a great start by the UK's Ryan now. No, it's not. But Ryan does power his way through to victory using that like real big strength of Paul. Yeah, sure, Eddie's got all of the capoeira flippy stuff, but he just dominates, just big thwacking punches to take the first win. And the second round is all show to the point where he nearly gets perfect. He nearly gets that flawless victory in that second round. But Ryan just gets a little couple of digs in. It's not enough. Show pulls it back one apiece, which means we are down to the final fight here. And the winner of this is going to be crowned the winner of this tournament. What a high for this to go out on. What what, and just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful match to happen, to be onto this final round. And the final round begins. And let's be honest, Ryan doesn't even get a chance to blink. Nope. Show just comes straight at him, kicking him up into the air, juggling him up in the air. And despite any attempts from Ryan to start a combo, to start a comeback, Show just has his number. Yeah. It is, it's like, it is almost like a different show. It's almost like I've got his number. I know what to do. Boom. It's it's the butter bean versus Bart Gun. It's one punch and he's done. It is quite fearsome. It's all of their training together has brought them to this point and shows like, I know what to do in this moment at this point. And he dominates this. Absolutely just runs through and drains down like half of his health in that first run. Dom and Derek lose all of their words. Ryan attempts a comeback, but it's too little too late. Show wins. Japan wins. What a climax to this little mini league. Show, let's begin with you. You are the champion. A fantastic final match. Were you worried at any point in the fight? If I play again, I think um, other people win. Yeah, that's very magnanimous of you. Okay, let's move on to Jeff now. You finished second. It was just that defeat against Orion then in the end that cost you the title. I mean, I played horrible in that match, but I give Ryan credit. He played better than I did. You know, I froze up. I'm happy with the way it turned out yeah. overall. It's great. Now, Ryan Hart. Um, what happened, Ryan, in that, in that last fight? Were you surprised by the combos that, uh, that the show was throwing at you? Uh, not, not really. I just didn't use as many moves as I could have used. I just used really basic stuff. Oh, so. Why? I'm not sure. Maybe it's because you're worried, you know. Yeah. Uh, finally, Oyston. Do you think that the fact that I mean, Norway never do very well in the Eurovision Song Contest either? Is, is there a relation between Eurovision and Tekken 3? Probably not, no. <laughs> Probably not? Oh, well, it was worth a try. And we come straight out of the challenge, and Dom 
just praises the final match, confirming Show is a champion. Show's pretty modest. He's like, if we played the same round of matches again, I think other people would win. Very modest, very humble, and also very accurate. That's what I was about to say. Yeah, like literally the last time that those two played together, Ryan won. So he's not wrong. Jeff is a little bit more... (laughs) Jeff is also very humble by basically going, I played like shit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like he gives Ryan credit for the match because he probably should have picked up some points there, but he played absolutely horrible in there. And Ryan then starts saying that Show was just being basic in his attacks and he should have done better than he did. And finally, we get to Oyston and Dominic's like, ah, well, Norway doesn't do very well in Eurovision either. Is there a connection? And Oyston's like, nah. No, no, nah, there isn't. He shuts down that banter very quickly. Although, interestingly, I thought I'd double-check this, and admittedly, this is as of 2022-2023, not 1998. Nullpoints.net has ranked Eurovision countries over the entire length of the competition based on average place and then balanced it out. And Norway doesn't do that badly. There are 45 countries total, because the bar is they have to have entered at least five times to, to be there, to be in the final. And Norway comes in at number 19. That, that is what I would have... I'd have said they were a mid, mid-league, mid mid-table performer is Norway. You know, they do better than a lot of people. The most shocking one for me is that the UK is at number five. Uh, last year really did make up for that. Uh, that. That's really like, it's shifted the balance somewhat. I think actually everything before like the mid-90s shifted the balance. And then last year shifted the balance. Uh, Ukraine is number one, like quite considerably number one immediately followed by Russia. And before we get political, let's keep going with Games Master. (laughs) But this is where you alluded to this earlier. Oyston kind of brings up the point of why he thinks he didn't do quite so well in this tournament, because he is really the only person, he he lost twice and he ended up coming last. And it's an argument that he's played against the CPU. Like all of his training has been been against CPU and his real world training has just been against people who are not on his level. It, Given that he set this up like before the challenge, I don't feel it was that much of an excuse. I think it's like, no, this is a problem this dude has. And I can imagine it must be problematic because the only time he gets to play against people of his level is by traveling to international events or appearing on Games Master. But then then he's in a competition status. So it's not really a chance for him to learn because the easiest way to learn from people in fighting games, and this is something I did when I played Street Fighter 4 online a lot, is sometimes it's better to lose because you learn their attack patterns. I wonder if he came to that realisation when he, in practice, because I bet you they had some practice games leading up into, you know, leading up to the day, leading up to the actual record. And I wonder if he lost all of those there, or, you know, maybe he won a handful or so, got lucky on a couple of occasions or did really well on a couple of occasions and probably came to that realisation, I'm not the strongest player of the four here. And the reason for that is that they are all playing against actual people, whereas I've spent most of my time playing against the CPU or against people that aren't close to how good I am. And so, yeah, he sets that up at the start so that he can then pay that off here at the end. But yeah, I wonder if he came to that realisation during practice. It must have been fairly brutal. It must have been just like a case of that moment of like, oh man, this isn't going well and I've still got to go through the competition. I've still got to, you know, deal with this Poor bugger. Yeah, I feel really bad for him. But Dom is a proud, proud pappy in this final moment here because he's like, that is the final challenge in Games Master history. It's the best challenge they've done in Games Master history. 
and Shohiraki is your winner, the last person to hold aloft an original Games Master Golden Joystick. And I'm so glad that this challenge did end the show and not Final Furlong. Yeah. Now, that is our final proper normal challenge, Games Master, as such, because next week is the final show, and it's going to be a moist-eyed look at the past seven years. I can assure you it will be gayer than tiptoeing through the tulips on a hot summer's day in Jacobean times. Please don't miss it. It's your last chance for fun in a dull, dull world. Bye-bye. And that's where Dom kind of tells us that, yeah, this was the final episode of sorts, because next week is a clip show. So. That's it. That is the last of challenges. That is the last of celebrity challenges. That's the last of reviews. That's the last of news. That is the last Games Master traditional episode. Because next week is a moist-eyed look at the show's history. And normally this is where we'd go into the, well, Ash or Luke, what did you think? But right at the end of this issue of Games Master is a Games Master special report. It's behind the scenes and interviews with the stars of Games Master Series 7, starting with an interview with Johnny Finch. Oh, cool. And it just starts by saying, you know, is this really the last series of Games Master? And he's like, yeah, afraid so. Ten more shows, that's it. And they ask, why are you stopping? And he's like, I think we've taken it about as far as it can go, especially considering it's on at 6pm. If Channel 4 agreed to put it on a bit later and make it a little longer, then I think we could do something really different but it's unlikely that this will happen. So there we are. We're kind of seeing hints of the uh, Games Master After Dark idea. The pirate ship idea. Yeah, that's come up an, a number of times, you know, across this podcast history. And they go in, they talk a little bit about the whole difference between episode nine and 10 here, because they say, how will Games Master be killed off? Are we set for a spectacular last program that ends with Dominic lying in a pool of blood? I mean, going full Sopranos would have been a hell of a way to end the show. And they say, no, last normal show will be the world's first international show on Tekken 3. I think they mean the most international tournament and a celebrity challenge that has to be seen to be believed. Mm-hmm. It's so good, I got a wife out of it, he may have said. The last show of Show 10 is a look back at the last seven years and should pull on the heartstrings of anyone who's ever been a Games Master fan. The, other, the rest of the interview is more just general Games Master questions, including what was the most embarrassing moment from any series of Games Master, and he says Robocop, basically. I don't know, Robocop, I mean, it'll come up next week, wasn't on the show. It was cut from the show. And then cut from the VHS. They ask him, like, how essential is Dominic Diamond? And he basically says there, what we've already had confirmed, he wouldn't make the show without Dominic. Mm -hmm. it's, he's key to it. He's key to the tight turnaround. He's someone that Johnny can work with. There's a little bit of innuendo about the Girl Fridays that I won't repeat. Basically, the idea that they're in the studio until late at night shagging. Mm-hmm. You know, it lads, 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 lads. Johnny reckons that the best challenge you ever had on Games Master is the Ted Sujin, which I actually think from those last couple of seasons, yeah, strong contender, definitely a strong contender. He does confirm, and we've seen this in the editing, that he cuts about half of the jokes Dominic makes. He has a very colourful imagination. It's a polite way to put it. <laughs> That's a very subtle way of putting it. Dave Perry. A force for good or evil. Johnny is very kind of diplomatic going, I don't have a problem with Dave Perry, but he takes himself a bit too seriously. Dominic has a rather different opinion. He sure as shit does. He certainly does. Ask if he has any regrets about the Dexter Fletcher years. Johnny regrets that they exist. It's unfair. And they ask a very important question. What does a producer do then? Lots of sitting around and bossing people about. And Johnny says, I sometimes think that my job consists entirely of answering questions. 
All I do all day is answer questions. In fact, it gets so bad that I spend a lot of time hiding from people who I know are planning to ask me more questions. That actually is a fairly accurate, yeah, you know, role of a role of a producer. Yeah, I'd say that's that's pretty bang on the banana. Uh, I think he's unfair to the Dexter Fletcher years. It's better than series four. I would concur. And they address the short order of episodes by going, so it's only on for ten weeks a year. Is this the most skivy job ever? And what do you do for the rest of the year? And he's like, well, it's a great job. The most fun I've ever had at work. The rest of the year, I spend the huge amounts of money I get paid for doing it. Him and Dom are on the same page with that one. You can see why they get on so well. And an interesting kind of like bit of bullshit. But given what we had a few years ago does come into play. What about the future? There have been rumours the programme will be broadcast on the internet. I don't think the technology for internet broadcast will be ready for a year or so, but we certainly are looking into it. As far as other work is concerned, I haven't got a clue. Having worked on a show about computer games is the TV industry's equivalent of a criminal record, so I'll probably never work again. But next month, and we will come back to this, is a time-appropriate interview with Mr. Dominic Diamond. Wow. But just a fun little thing to go on, Johnny's Desert Island Discs. Those are Desert Island games to take. Yeah. Number five, Final Fantasy VII. Good choice. Number four, Dungeon Master. Very good choice. It even says underneath, you won't remember this one. They bloody should. Number three, Mario 64. Guess Dave's not going to be on the island. Number two, Resident Evil. And number one, Tomb Raider 2. Oh, cool. Quality choices. Nice quality choices right there. So I think we will savour that Dominic Diamond's tease as we wrap up this, the, the final episode, really, uh, of Games Master before the final episode. Uh, Ash, what did you make of it? As we said earlier, it's the best of Games Master and the worst of Games Master in one episode. The Tech N3, one of my favourite challenges of the entire run. It's a challenge I was looking forward to getting to right from probably, like, we were still in season six when I realised it was ahead. And I'm like, oh yeah, this will be good. And it's a shitty celebrity challenge. Like, it doesn't matter that they're into it. It's just... There's nothing to it. Like, I genuinely would have rather had last week's challenge on this week's episode because it was a fun challenge with some gameplay ability in it. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. And I think that she was also game for it. She threw the innuendo right back at Dominic and was very game for what she was doing. And I think that this, this challenge is the best example to show of what games master did wrong or what it got wrong or what it should not be brought back and i think like you know i think violet sums it up quite spectacularly in, in her you know diatribe that she sort of has about that which is featured within the the oral history it is you know arguably the i, I don't even know if it's the worst celebrity challenge because the the emma one's not that far off though the rapid river one so there's there's a quite a few of these bad celebrity challenges and like you know, we'll do this when we get to the wrap up. The boxes were terrible as well. Like this has been a bad series for celebrity challenges, but this is one of the bad celebrity challenges that also was aged poorly because it was a different. Twas the style at the time, uh, but it was not a style that has done well and has aged well. But everything else around it's grand. Like I think that the Tekken stuff is really, really good. Would have been better with more time. Absolutely. Um, I wish there were either more players or more rounds as opposed to just the three fights each but it is still really really good and it is games master at its best because it is taking itself seriously and taking what it is doing seriously but also having a bit of fun with it as well and presenting themselves as something larger than what they are and i really really love that um 
and we got the great Resident Evil 2 new special as well, which was just a nice little uh, nice little soup song there to, to cleanse the palate somewhat after the celebrity challenge. I just wanted more of the Tekken. Wanted more Tekken on this show, less celebrity Gaga, and yeah, more of the game. If this is going to be the final episode of Games Master, which it is, I'd have preferred it to have been all Tekken challenge. You know, like we kind of what we said with the, the Tetsujin challenge, I kind of in some ways wish it was just all Tetsujin. But here, I, just, I do wish that this was just... Actually, it, it, a better example, rather than Tetsujin, is um, the Team Championships. The problem with the Team Championships was that they were cramming too much into that short time frame because they had, you know, three rounds of the Team Championships and the Celebrity Challenge and the Consultation Zone. You axed that Consultation Zone and Celebrity Challenge, the Team Championships runs much better. Same here. You axed that Celebrity Challenge and the news feature, that second challenge is awesome. And it's perfect. As it stands, it's like near perfect. It's a Nat's dick length away from being perfect. I think, yeah, I'd have rather just had the Tech N3 be the entire meat of it. We've got no reviews. And I think I'd have put that new special, I'd have done the package, I'd have done the intro, I'd have met the contestants, and then maybe do, they're going to warm up. Meanwhile, here's a new special. And then boom, we just run all the way through that Tech N3 challenge. This is what I'd love to, I, you know, as we both said, we'd love to have seen more on this. I'd love to have seen more of this in the new series, but with the new series, I already know they didn't have the time. They didn't have the resources. It was such a tight turnaround, even for three episodes, because they probably had about the same amount of time, realistically, that they had for Series 7. But the world is a different place. Series 7 and video games, it's like, can I use this game? Yes, sure, cleared, boom. Can Derek Lynch bring this down in his van from Namco Wonder Park? Yeah, sure. New Games Master, you contact Activision because you want to put Call of Duty in there. Activision are like, well, how's Call of Duty going to be represented? You call Nintendo saying you want to use Mario Brothers. Well, how are you going to talk about Mario? How is he going to be represented? Can you guarantee they're going to win the challenge? Mm -hmm. There's so much more politics involved now because video games as big as an industry as they were becoming in 97, 98, are now massive. This is a complicated episode to summarise my feelings on, other than going, there's everything here I want more of, and everything here I want less of. That's that's exactly it. Like, I, you know, I think we've, we've said it a, a few times, but this is the best and worst of this show. It's the best and worst of Dom and Mate's era. It's Dom at his complete creative control and wanting to show off an incredible games-playing spectacle, but it's also Domino's creative control of fit birds on silly arcade game. Away the lads. So it's 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 an interesting one to find a score for in the end, I think. I think if this was, if we had swapped the celebrity challenges around. So if we had Fireman Sam this week and we'd had Muffin the Mule last week, last week's episode would have been low 70s, if that. Mm -hmm. You know, it would have really dragged it down, despite how good Jurassic Park was and how fun it was. And this episode would be a solid, it would be a high to mid 90s. But you put, you know, it's not peanut butter and jelly. It's peanut butter and jelly. Oh, wait, that's not peanut butter. That's baby poop. Yeah. You've got a young kid. You know the kind of poop I'm talking about. Absolutely, it's the one I when do. you're like, there's some nutritional deficiencies here. We need to adjust something with their baby formula. That kind of poop. Um, never confuse it with peanut butter. It's terrible. And so oh, I don't want to put it in the 70s because Tekken 3 is so good, but it's definitely an 80s episode again. In which case, then I think I might put this at the 80, flat 80, because you're right. Like, I don't want to put this in the 70s either because I don't think that's fair. But that final furlong challenge is it, it's held up for a reason as one of the worst examples of Dom and Friends. And I think it is the worst example of Dom and Mates. So 
I'm going flat 80 on this one, despite how good that Tekken challenge was. And even then, like, I think my 80 score is justified to myself at the very least because it's not the most perfect version of that Tekken challenge there could have been. Yeah. If we were just reviewing this episode for Tekken 3 and the news article, so if you literally, if you go and watch this episode and you just skip the celebrity challenge, I'll say right now, 97%. Yeah. It would be one of the highest episodes we've ever had. Yeah. But that final furlong challenge, I know in my head I can ratify parts of it of, you know, the girls are playing into it, they're playing up to it. It's not quite the uncomfortable All Saints or Wigfield or whatever type position, but it's still the the worst of Games Master. It is, yeah. We did save the best and worst for last. So yeah, so I, I'm yeah, I'm going to go with you. Flat eighty. Flat eighty. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Ash, our last ever episode of original run format in this style next week's show is going to be something very very different um if you were part of our under console nation you'll have a bit of a tease of what is going to be coming for next week but next week's it next week is the final episode of games master before we look at we revisit series eight but it's the last of the original run and it's going to be a hefty one it's going to be an emotional one uh, i'm looking forward to recording it and seeing what comes out at the other end same i'm it's odd it's a landmark episode i don't think it will be our longest episode because we talked about everything before there's not a lot to talk about in it so so luke i I think we might actually have to talk about ourselves a bit (laughs) we might have to get introspective (laughs) but you can find more about us on social media on twitter at under console pod on instagram at under dot console and you can send us your series 7 feedback to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to chat with us in real time, if you want to chat with other listeners, other fans of retro gaming, retro pop culture, and current gaming and current pop culture, there's discussions on Mario movies, on pro wrestling, on modern video games, on all sorts of good stuff, you can do so over on our Discord, details of which can be found on social media and in the show notes. But not only that, our Twitch channel is alive and well. I am streaming at least once a week, sometimes two or three times a week. The journey to Twitch affiliate is on. And I'm having a great time. A whole bunch of people from the Discord tuned in last night. We had some WWE 2K23 action going on. I almost won my first Royal Rumble. I was very excited for that. And we've also been playing Dredge. What happens if you take two of my favorite things, horror and fishing, and combine them together? And the Evercade and Sega Saturn will be making appearances over the coming weeks. So find us on Twitch at Under Console Pod. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash Under Console Pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra and our monthly community show, Under Console Nation. At the £5 level, You'll have next week's episode one week early and ad-free, and that will be the final episode of this original run. And at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what is that? At the £10 level, you get our Patreon pack, the contents of which and the delivery method is TBC, but it will not be by horseback. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Adam D, Adam Warrington, Alexis, Andrew Cummings, Andrew Greenwood, Andy, Arcadia Wild Bill, Chris Price, Chrissy Two Sticks, Colin, David Palmer, David White, Gordon Aiken, Gordon Brands, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Mankigal, I am Cheadle, Ian Roberts, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe McGonagall, Joe Mitchell, Kevin, Kylie Lawrence, Liam, Link, Mark, Matty Boom, Misha, Nick, Bill, Retro Fun for Everyone, Reese, Richard, Sean, Selena, Simon, Super Sexy, Dave Fisher, The Amazing Cliff, Tom Dylan McEvoy, Tom S. William, Xanderthal, and Zach. 
Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time. The Games Master, the final episode. Take care, everyone. Good night. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.